Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about corporate calls and petrifying peelers. I'm your host, Paul J. McSorley. And tonight and every other Wednesday night, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Matt Richardson and Tim Ritter are yours truly, Paul J. McSorley and Rissa Montañez. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale this evening is brought to us by our dear friends at Velox, is written by Matt Richardson and performed by myself, Paul J. McSorley and Rissa Montañez. In it, we meet a bereaved man given an odd but sure second chance. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Spam Call. Hello? Is this Mr. Henderson? There was no real reason for me to pick up the phone. The spam app on my cell called out the mystery number right away. But hell, I thought. Fuck it. There was no one else left in life for me to talk to. Even a debt collector sounded good at the moment. My wife was murdered in 2015. There really isn't any easy way to say that other than getting it out of the way early. Not much to it. Just another random robbery gone wrong. 
One dark night in October, some sick, tweaking fuck snuck into our house and shot her to death. The suspect was caught two days later. He was sentenced to life in prison. He still sits there today. I have worked in web development ever since. The job is remote, and the field caters to my hermit-like behavior out here in the woods of northern New Jersey. The lack of drug testing is really just an added benefit, which leaves me perfectly free to fuck up the remainder of my own life on my own terms. I don't have any friends anymore. Not really. Sometimes, I don't know, I guess it's just easy to look for companionship in all the wrong places. Senior or Junior? I replied with a gentle sigh before settling into the armchair in my office with a bottle of wine. A storm blanketed the valley that evening. Rain hummed rhythmically against the roof. Wind whipped the old pine tree in our backyard to the point of collapse. Uh, senior, whispered the calm, pretty voice on the other line. Something about her accent seemed familiar, but at the time, I mostly attributed that notion to the half-empty bottle of wine. Apologies, ma'am, but Senior died six years ago. I answered, a little annoyed at the apparent lack of record-keeping at this place. She paused. Oh, gosh. Gosh, that is not what we have here. I'm so sorry, sir. We were not aware of the change in circumstance. Please forgive the intrusion. Would you mind pausing while I check the records? The filing cabinet clicked steadily in the background as static crinkled. I assumed she held the receiver to her shoulder. I couldn't help but notice the awful audio quality. Nah, that's okay. No problem at all. No worries. Why don't you start by telling me your name? I asked, cursing myself for the hint of shameless flirting at the end. She giggled and my heart pounded. I couldn't help it. The reaction was instinctual. Something about that laugh was just so recognizable. I couldn't get it out of my head. Like a familiar fragrance that you just can't quite place. My name is Emily, and I work with Mr. Henderson's credit card provider. She offered in a rehearsed tone. Unfortunately, we cannot provide any more details over the phone if you are not the account holder. Which, uh, you just admitted yourself, of course. Okay. I am hoping that you are Mr. Henderson's son. She hummed while thumbing through papers. Which means you could be listed as a beneficiary. Yes, ma'am, that's right. But it's been years since he passed. Can't possibly be stuck with the old man's debt, right? Well, let's check, shall we? A panicked shuffling ensued in the background. I am so very sorry, sir. The rules are kept in one of these three-ring binders, and they are very difficult to find if we don't have the exact reference number. That's okay. Didn't know anybody still kept their records that way. No worries. Do I get an email confirmation of this charge as well? Excuse me? Email. Like electronic mail? A confirmation of the charge? She hesitated again. I waited in silence. What was this lady's problem? We don't... We don't do that here. <laughs> Still a few years away from all those fancy features. But as you know, late payments are a pretty serious issue. And they can even affect your credit score. 
Okay, okay, uh, of course. I was actually starting to worry. What can we do? Is there a Mrs. Henderson in the household? Mrs. Henderson died in 06. What year did you say? Oh my gosh, that is so horrible. I I really am batting 1,000 today. (laughs) I gasped. That was it. That fucking phrase. I don't know if it was the way she said it or the fact that she said it at all. But as soon as she did, the pieces clicked into place. My wife worked for a credit card company before we met. My wife's name was Emily. What is your last name? The line was silent. Look, look, I know that's a weird question, but please, it feels like we know each other. I can't give that information out. There are rules. Okay, no problem. Did you go to Jefferson Memorial High School? Yes. How the heck did you know that? It wasn't possible. And somehow it wasn't. The voice on the phone barely even resembled Emily. She seemed younger, happier, more optimistic, before the wheels of time grated their way into her feathery tone. I dreamed about a moment like this one, night after night, for months after she died. And yet this time, I was awake. I pinched myself extra hard just to make sure. Is your mother's name Helen? She paused. I could hear her breathing. Even that felt familiar. Who is this? Okay. I took a deep breath. Either I completely understood what was happening, or I'd completely lost my mind. But either way, might as well enjoy the ride. This next question is going to sound strange. What is today's date? I'm sorry, sir. What? One moment. She paused and shuffled around some more papers. Today's date is July the 9th, 1999. I didn't understand. Could it be the storm? The anniversary of her death? My own fucked up subconsciousness forcing dreams into reality? I didn't want to understand. Emily, listen to me. Okay, sir, this conversation is getting a little strange. Let's keep it to the payment plan. Please listen to me very carefully. One day, one day you are going to meet a guy. You are going to love him, Emily, and he will love you more than you could ever possibly know. I didn't know what else to say. I didn't know how to insist. Years of memories wrapped up in one moment of convincing. I had to give her something to remember. On your first holiday together, he will buy you one gift for all 12 days of Christmas. Sounds dreamy. (laughs) She replied with a laugh and a sigh. Are you one of those psychics? I'm serious. You're going to marry this guy, Emily. He's going to buy you the ring you always wanted. The ceremony will be a Buena Sera in your hometown. Your entire family will be there. All of your friends. Aunt Emma, your grandma from Tennessee, that girl you fought with in the fourth grade. Oh, I like this fortune cookie. She teased with dripping sarcasm. What else? You'll be happy together. You'll have everything. Everything two people could possibly want from each other. But two years later, on July 9th, 2015, 
you'll be murdered in the perfect home that you share, and there is nothing that anybody can do about it. She shifted the phone again. Okay, fine. Say I believe you. What do I do? First, I tried to tell her to avoid the house that day, to never date me, to move, to stay away forever and find a better life somewhere else with someone else. But somewhere in the middle of my rant, a woman screamed and the line disconnected. I called back to find a non-working number. I tried ten more times, but she never answered again. I fell asleep listening to the thunder rolling through the sky. The conversation repeated itself from time to time while flashes of her broken body on the floor occasionally invaded my mind. I never questioned the call. I never asked why. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was just time. But yesterday morning when I woke up, Emily was by my side. I hope you enjoyed Spam Call, as written by Matt Richardson and performed by Paul J. McSorley and Rissa Montanez. This tale was brought to us courtesy of Velox Books. You can check out more from this author and more by visiting their website, veloxbooks.com. That's V-E-L-O-X-B-O-O-K-S dot com. Furthermore, you can also find more of Rissa over on the Creepy Podcast at creepypod.com. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now... All you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our second tale of the evening is written by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights newcomer Tim Ritter and performed by Paul J. McSorley. They say you always hurt the ones you love. But this next tale is a horse of a different color entirely. Now, without further ado, I present to you the KP Murderer. No, I won't do it. Nah, please, I beg you. No, I, I can't bear the agony of retelling the story. Here in this bed, I remain in a weakened condition. The stitches holding my flesh together are but a few days old. The pain in my lungs and back, it grips me, holds me, squeezes the breath out of me. 
It's all too much. It's all too much. I'm... I'm horrified by the details. Horrified to relive it for the sake of sharing the story yet again. Horrified to have been there. Simply... Simply horrified. Honestly, at this point, I'm afraid to go to sleep. I'm afraid that when I close my eyes, I will see the events unfold again. The entire scene has played out before my closed eyes each night. Each night since that dreadful, awful evening. No. <laughs> no. I said no. Quit looking at me like that. <sighs> Alas, I know that what I have to say, the story I have to tell, is important. Therefore, I must, with every bit of strength I possess, share the details of what happened. Maybe if I tell it one more time, the nightmares will end, and I may be permitted that great luxury, that sweet benefit of restful slumber. I believe the first time I became aware of the series of brutal murders. It was due to the local newspaper and television stations covering the story. Unfortunately, the daily news was always full of reports of killings, attacks, and other forms of human brutality. However, such events always happened in places far away, towns in some other state or county, locations in which I had never been. Never had such evil come to this town, or at least not that anyone alive could remember. I recalled in my teens hearing that, Somewhere in my ancestry there had been a murder, but the details were never explained to me clearly. It was just one of those skeletons in the closet, presumably from Wild West days. Kind of like when you're related to someone like Doc Holliday or the Clantons. Therefore, I typically ignored modern stories of heinous events in faraway places with the same distant acknowledgement as those cowboy tales. Yet, the evil arrived. Here in my town, death lurked and fear hung oppressive and cold over everyone, like the low, frightening clouds and ominous, Bakian rumble of an approaching storm. The local daily visitor, that hopeless rag of a newspaper with one word of its name intentionally misspelled, claimed to be the first to call the killer the KP murderer. No doubt the moniker stuck after they revealed the recurring morbid condition of each victim. Each poor deceased soul was found with a large abdominal wound caused by some heinous blade wielded by the brutal attacker, and within the wound, a peeler, that sharp utensil most commonly used to remove the skin from potatoes. Since an image among soldiers and veterans is that of peeling potatoes while serving on kitchen duty, the killer was called the KP murderer. I couldn't help but think someone could have come up with a better name. Countless psychiatrists, psychologists, lawyers, doctors, and even clergy weighed in on the meaning and significance of the peeler, the tool of a cook or chef shoved in the gaping atrocious wound of each victim. Each so-called expert tried to explain how the killer was most likely abused 
or somehow mentally snapped during military service, and that he needed psychiatric help immediately upon apprehension. And with each article, each quotation from a doctor, each press conference by some preacher who eventually got around to asking for money, I just shook my head and thought, they just need to kill the crazy son of a bitch. With that bit of background properly shared, I believe I can bring you up to the most recent events, the situation in which I found myself those few nights ago, and the madness which developed most rapidly. I left my place of employment late that evening, the sun having already set by the time I arrived at the home of my parents on the city's west side. Due to a recent change in jobs, my financial situation became somewhat tenuous so my parents permitted me to stay with them these past three months. I occupied the same bedroom where I lived as a child. I'm fairly certain the uncomfortable twin mattress upon which my body rested each night was the same as well. I had also broken up with my girlfriend of two years. Well, I guess that's not completely accurate. She left. Just left. No note, no phone call. One day, she and all her stuff were just gone. The living conditions at mom and dad's place were uncomfortable at best. I felt like a failure, having lost a job and ended a relationship within a very short amount of time. My parents were not unkind, but I felt a tension there, as an invader in their private lives which they had carved out upon my departure from the home so many years prior. Dad was still as quiet as he had ever been, Mom was still a very tense person, always mad at someone about something they said or a certain way they looked at her. I had heard all her complaints about neighbors and people at church for years, so her rants were nothing new. Yet, all remained pleasant enough, I guess, and I was thankful to be allowed to stay there until my financial situation improved. Back to that night. As I pulled into the driveway, I saw my parents standing on the front porch with great concern on their faces. I parked and got out quickly to discover the source of their consternation. Dad, seated in his favorite porch sitting chair, held his double-barrel shotgun between his knees, proceeding to wipe it down as he eyed my approach. Next to him, on the short round table normally reserved for glasses of sweetened iced tea, sat two boxes of ammunition. One contained the shells for his shotgun. The other had bullets for my pistol, which also lay on the table next to an empty chair. Mom crouched behind Dad, plugging in the police scanner. Sit down, son. Dad nodded to the empty chair. The hell's going on, Dad? I asked. Look over yonder. Dad cocked his head toward the hillside a couple of blocks away to the east. In the gathering dark, over the rooftops of our neighbors' houses, I could see the red and blue flashing beacons atop police cars. Lots of police cars. They think they may know where that murdering bastard is, Dad growled. That's awfully close. I want to be prepared just in case they didn't actually get him and he's still on the loose. I immediately sat down in the chair and began to load my pistol. Mom turned on the scanner, then placed it between us on the table amongst the boxes of shells and bullets. Ellen, you get inside, find yourself a good place to hide. If this goes bad, 
I don't want them coming after you. Turn off that porch light. Mom turned and went inside without saying a word. Then in an instant, all was blackness as she turned off the light. Hopefully that scanner will lock in on any police transmissions so we can hear what's going on. Dad muttered. Our eyes strained in the darkness, trained on the array of red and blue lights on the hillside. As we concentrated to listen for anything the police said on the scanner, I felt a trickle of sweat run down the side of my face. I finished loading my pistol as we listened to three or four voices trying to talk at once on the scanner. One voice ordered everyone to hold tight until further backup arrived. Another voice thought eight officers was enough, and one voice told both sons of bitches to shut up and move. Then suddenly they must have entered the house. We heard one, holy shit, one damn it, and one, ah, hell. Then a brief silence. We've got a body with a goddamn peeler shoved in it. This guy's been dead for a while. Any sign of the killer anywhere? Nope, he's gone. Dad and I cocked our weapons. The night around us was a suffocating pitch black at that point. The homes of the neighbors across the street were simply dark boxes that partially blocked the sight of the police cars. The closest streetlight, on a pole at the corner of our yard, had been a waiting replacement for several months. Our end of the street was black as coal. The scanner went quiet. Dad and I looked around, but saw nothing. Heard nothing. I mean, literally, we heard nothing. In the midst of that summer heat wave, the bugs should have been sounding off. The cicadas were supposed to be out, and it should have been deafening amidst their squalling. They weren't squalling, though. No dogs barked. It was as if everything around us felt the tension in the area and went into hiding. Dad reached over and switched off the now silent scanner. Another drop of sweat trickled slowly down the side of my face, changing its course slightly with the contours of my skin. My shirt stuck to my body in the heat and humidity, feeling like my flesh and the fabric were intermingled. I longed for a tall glass of cold water. Quietly, I cleared my throat. Dad, what if... Shh, quiet, not a word, son. Suddenly, we heard a loud sound from the house across the street, the Clark Place. I strained to listen. It reminded me of the sound of something large hitting the floor. Or maybe someone hitting the floor. Then more noise, like stomping, like a scuffle. Then glass broke. Then more glass broke. Should we go over there, Dad? I whispered. No, son. We wouldn't be able to see anything. Better to stay here. Then there was silence. Whatever ruckus happened at the Clark Place, it was done. Suddenly, we heard the screen door of that house creak open, then slam closed. But in the blackness of that night, we couldn't see anything. Someone either went in or came out. Then more deafening silence. No breeze, no birds, no cicadas. Nothing rustled, not the slightest sound from any direction. You know how when a big storm is coming and everything goes quiet? It seems most of the time you can hear a dog bark or a loud car or a train horn or something like that. Not this time. It was like being locked in a soundproof box. My ears were pounding, which didn't help much 
as I strained to listen. We barely breathed. Suddenly, Dad flinched. Something's moving, he whispered as he leveled his gun, aiming into the blackness. Where, Dad? I don't see anything, I whispered back, straining to see. I don't see it. I don't hear it. I feel it. Something is moving somewhere, somewhere in front of us. After several moments of straining to see or hear anything, a sound broke the silence. A most awful sound. It was a gasp, a gurgle, a terrible gut-wrenching sound of pain and death. And it came from Dad. I looked, barely seeing through the darkness as his body suddenly stiffened. His arms, thrusting out in front of him, dropped his shotgun. His eyes, large and round, showed terror and agony as something, some unknown act or device or, or weapon, took the life from him. As I began to turn, something huge, sharp, and metallic thrust into my body from behind. I shuddered all over as this thing stabbed deeper into me, puncturing my lung. In an instant, I realized that this murderer, this devil incarnate, this man of horror, had somehow managed to sneak up behind Dad and I during our vigil to take us as his next victims. This beast must have attacked our neighbor, then came for us. I fell forward as the knife was pulled from my back by the assailant. Gasping for air, I fell forward out of the chair but caught myself and rolled over. I was still coherent enough to look around. In the next moment, I heard our front door open and the porch light came on, illuminating everything. There was Dad, slumped over in his chair, dead or dying. His shotgun lying near me hadn't even discharged. And there before me stood my murderer, the one who so many had discussed, the one who so many sought, the one those officers two blocks away wanted so badly, the devil incarnate. I knew my murderer. It was mom. In her right hand, dripping with blood, my blood and that of my father, she held the knife that she used to stab us. In her left hand, she held two potato peelers, one intended for Dad and one for me. Mom, I gasped. Mom, why? You were in my way. I had such a nice life after you left teaching people lessons, and your dad, he needed to be taught a lesson. And now you were sitting here trying to kill me, and you both needed to be taught a lesson just like Mrs. Clark, that bitch needed to be taught a lesson, and Mr. Babcock, your old principal over there where all the police cars are, you remember he once sent you home because of your ratty clothes? Well, I did my best to keep you in good clothes, but obviously it wasn't good enough for him. Um, that happened over ten years ago. I was just a kid and we were poor. You've been mad at him all this time? I stay mad at everyone. I stay mad at him and mad at Mrs. Clark. She always thought her flowers were prettier than mine. And Dan Davis looked at my shoes once when I passed him, so I killed him. And I don't like people looking at my shoes and your damn girlfriend didn't leave you. I didn't like her. But don't you worry, they will never find her. I took care of that. There will be nobody to find with her. You 
You killed my Sophie? I didn't just kill her, she growled. But mom, I tried to speak. I wanted to ask. My head was spinning and I felt sick. Blood pooled up around me as I tried to move. Mom, why... Why the... Why this peeler thing? My sister, she said, lowering her eyes for a moment. In that moment, as blood pooled around me and the world seemed to spin, making me sick, I saw the intensity fade from my mother's eyes. Mom! She snapped her head back up and her eyes burned into me. My sister, my sister Eleanor, you remember hearing about a murder that occurred in our family? It was Eleanor, my sister. She was sick. She was weak. She spent her life in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. She was fooled by a guy who pretended to be interested in her, and he... She stopped for a moment. I tried to catch my breath. He took her someplace, and there were lots of guys there, and they had their way with her, and beat her, and hurt her. Then they killed her, but I knew who they were, and I tracked down each one, and I killed them and hid their identity by skinning their fingers so they couldn't be identified by fingerprints. A peeler works really well for taking skin off of someone, and I wanted to keep killing, so I did, and decided to stick the peeler in them since it wouldn't do any good to peel their fingerprints that can figure out who someone is easier these days. She stopped talking, breathing hard. She looked down at her hands, the knife dripping blood, the peelers in the other hand. She looked at me. But mom, you can stop. You don't have to kill anymore. You've avenged your sister. It's done. She stared at me, cocking her head as if trying to understand me. I can stop? Yes, Mom, you can stop. I gasped for air. She looked down at her hands again, then looked back at me. I... I can... stop. I was afraid to move, afraid to say anything. Was I getting through to her? Her eyes widened. Now! Her eyes, red with hatred, fixed on me as she took a step toward me, thrusting the bloody knife forward. I aimed my pistol and fired twice. Now leave me alone. I hope you enjoyed the KP Murderer, as written by Tim Ritter and performed by your host this evening, Paul J. McSorley. Now, on to the shows. Longtime resident, Otis Jiry, has his very own show here on our network, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which you can hear every Sunday night. We also have Eric Peabody's Horror Hill, a podcast dedicated to some of our deeper and darker tales. We hope you check him out. And Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Fridays, featuring some southern down-home horror. And don't forget to check out the Fear from the Heartland archives, featuring more than 120 episodes. Well, friends, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube 
where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Paul J. McSorley, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. <laughs>